Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio. I'm Andrea Askowitz, your host and your teacher. The purpose of Writing Class Radio is to connect with people who love stories and who get inspired by hearing other people tell their stories and who want to learn a little bit about how to write their own stories. This is episode nine. In episode eight, we talked about writing humor. We spoke to humor expert, lawyer, and author Jay Wexler, who laid out 10 suggestions for humor writing. I added four. So if you want 14 ways to make you a funnier writer, you can find that and more on episode 8. Today we're talking about steaks, and I don't mean those slabs of meat you eat if you're not a vegetarian. We're talking about what makes a listener or a reader care about a story. What is that thing that keeps a listener listening or a reader reading when there is every temptation to turn it off or shut the book? And we're talking about what we have to lose as storytellers when we tell our stories. What's at stake for us as artists? One thing we know about memoir writing is that the narrator lived to tell the tale. Phew, she made it. So if we know the narrator lived, why do we care? This is our job as storytellers. I just recently sat in on a webinar given by Leah Tao, who is one of the best storytellers I've ever encountered. She's the host and producer of Strangers, which is a kick-ass Peabody award-winning podcast telling true stories about everyday people. If you haven't listened to Strangers yet, you're missing out. Leah talked in her class about how the written story or the told story is different than the event that actually happened. In episode two of this podcast, I talked about this concept in slightly different terms. I refer to the situation and how that is different from the story that is created. So a story is not just a recollection of events, but also the interpretation of events. As memoir writers, we're charged with bringing meaning to what happened. Leah says, that the most pointed way to figure out the meaning of whatever happened is to ask, what is at stake? What is there to be lost or won? What's at stake is often emotional. The stakes equal the conflict. I've heard people say, so many crazy things have happened to me, I could write a book. But the biggest mistake people make is thinking that a dramatic experience equals a story. I have a great example. At my wedding, while I was saying my vows, telling my future wife why I loved her and wanted to share my life with her, during what was pretty much the most important speech of my life, my 80-year-old uncle went down. My brother was standing next to me. He said, Bob's gone, Bob's gone. When the ambulance took Bob away, my dad said, the wedding goes on. 
And I was like, what? We eat paella now? The wedding did go on, and for hours, we didn't know the fate of Bob. The good news? Bob lived. For months after, whenever I talked about my wedding, that's what I talked about. Bob going down was my dinner party shtick. And everyone said, you have to write about that. But this is the thing. Why? What more was there to the story? That's not a story. That's a situation. It took a while for me to figure out how to use that situation in a story. I ultimately put that scene into a story about my need for attention. So there I was, in the middle of my vows, giving the most important speech of my life, pledging my love to the woman I'd spend the rest of my life with. I was maybe halfway through, after the part about how Victoria lets me choose where we eat, how she doesn't get all bent out of shape when I want to change tables in a restaurant, how... And then this weird thing happened. I kept talking, but I could tell no one was listening. Not even Victoria. I went on for a line or two, feeling really, really sad. People's attention had shifted, and I didn't understand why. And then I looked out and saw a man on the ground. My brother said, Bob's gone. Bob's gone. In the rest of the story, I try to be okay that no one heard my vows. Something more important was going on. And so the story was not about a man dying and then coming back to life while I told my vows. But what was at stake for me was not being heard. By state I'm in, terms coming for all of us. And I'm the one to blame for the way I live. I've repented for most of us. Been praying for to A crazy situation doesn't automatically make for a good story. On the flip side, a seemingly boring situation could make for a good story. I've said this before, you don't have to have lived through trauma to be a writer. In our last episode, episode 8, for example, Terry DeMeo told the story about letting her hair go gray. Doesn't sound like much on the surface, but Terry brought meaning to the event. What was at stake for Terry was, is, whether or not she'll lose her place in society while she ages. As listeners, we are clear about what there is to be lost or won. Well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, but I just ended up the same. I just chose the and I can barely see. What's also at stake is what we as artists have to lose by telling our stories. So we're getting to the end of the first semester in writing class radio. We've had nine classes, one to go. And this is what's come up. Some students have asked us not to share certain stories they've told in class, either because they implicate other people or because they don't like the way those stories implicate them. Danny dropped out. And in episode three, Allison told a story which implicates her mom, and her mom got pissed. When I see my reflection in the mirror, I see my mom. I hear her voice when I scream at my kids. How many times must I tell you to take a shower, put on your PJs, and get into bed? Alice had said some other things that may have been more hurtful. But she also said some things that are very flattering. Her mom is gorgeous. She's a talented artist and has a PhD. She has smooth skin and a great body. 
Allison told this story because she's working out who she is as a mom. I hear compassion, compassion for herself and her mother. But Allison's having some storytelling remorse. I'm a total asshole. We're kids. We're assholes, I guess. We're always assholes to our parents. I don't know. I just, I was trying to work my shit out. That's why I wrote that story. So these days I hear my, I hear her voice when I'm screaming at my kids. So I said uh, things about my mom that were good and bad and she didn't appreciate either actually. Well, she definitely didn't like the bad. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to hurt her. I really wasn't. I love my mom and I'm not trying to hurt her. But I, I'm trying to prove a point in my story. How do you prove a point without saying what those things are? What's the real offense here? Having negative opinions about your mom or writing about it? I think it's always an offense to air negative opinions for no reason. But if the narrator has good reason to write a certain thing about another person, then I'd argue that that is his or her story. Sometimes we don't know what's at stake in telling our stories. Sometimes there are real risks. But in the end, and I always come back to this, I think not telling our stories is riskier. So now I'm going to take you into class. You're going to hear Anessa, who you may remember from episode four when we followed her to the fertility clinic where she froze her eggs. What do you have to lose? One, one way to look at it is what do you have to lose in revealing all, like in revealing yourself fully right now, right here. Okay, go. I've come to a major awareness. This whole human experience is a rehearsal for death. There are other ways in which I rehearse for death, like anxiety. Thinking about all the worst possible outcomes. If I can play them out in my mind and know that at the end I'll still be okay, it gives me a sense of relief. That's what happened this weekend when all of a sudden I flew into a fit of anxiety about writing class radio. I don't remember... Andrea taking a picture of me in the hospital post-egg freezing op. I can't have a picture of me in a little blue hat and robe looking like Smurfette on the internet. What if a potential suitor finds that photo and decides that I'm not really that pretty with no makeup on and my hair tucked back? The ruminations continued. The story that I wrote about the guy I kissed on the beach, the one that made a foul remark about his niece. He's a lawyer. Will he sue me? Oh, shit. What about my feng shui spiritual counseling career? Will people take anything I say seriously if I'm exposing parts of myself that aren't flattering? And I don't know how to live without hiding. And being in this class is really forcing me to look at the parts within that aren't congruent and accept them. Death is inevitable, but do I want to die scared little person afraid of what other people think of me? When my clients tell me their stories and reveal parts of themselves that aren't flattering, I don't judge them. I have an understanding of the multifaceted nature of our psyche and personalities. I get that amidst all the seeming chaos, there's a cohesive state where all parts are not at war with one another. And it's from that higher place that I want to live my life. But in order for me to reside more deeply in the authentic place, I need to allow all my aspects, parts, subpersonalities to roam free so that I can see what I'm dealing with here. So what's at stake for Anessa? 
She's afraid to look bad, but she knows that what's worse than looking bad is hiding. That's her conflict. Those are the stakes. So we're rooting for her. Go, Anessa, you can do this. Later in this episode, Anessa raises the stakes. She tells us another story where her truth and what her parents want for her collide. You may remember Wendy. In episode six, Wendy told the story about the aftermath of her ex-husband's murder. Her response to the prompt, what do you have to lose, is next. some senses, I feel I have nothing to lose because when Dee was killed, the media already had a field day with me, our acrimonious divorce, and my potential involvement in the murder of my children's father. So in a sense, they had already taken from me most of the things I would have feared I would lose, like my professional identity, this veneer of safety we sell ourselves, and any semblance of privacy. But the truth is, I've spent the better part of this last year creating a new normal for the boys and me. It's shaky like a new little calf, wobbly in the knees and aching to walk and then run. And now I feel like I have everything to lose because I know how tenuous and precious life is and know that it could be snuffed out in an instant. I mean, if the man I thought I'd spend my life with could be murdered on a sunny summer morning, then what is to stop me from getting cancer and leaving my children orphaned? I have everything to lose the minutes with my boys at their sweet young ages, while my parents are also young and healthy enough to be rambunctious with them. And so I'm here and participating in this class because I wanted to do something for myself that was more than just occasionally exercising. I love being able to tell my children, mommy is going to school. And then when they giggle, telling me that adults don't go to school, I got to tell them that learning never stops as long as we are open to new things. And so I say, what do I have to lose in being here? Life feels painfully short these days as I watch my parents age and listen to friends tell me stories of losing their moms and dads. I want to live it fully and well, and I imagine this class won't be a regret. So what are the stakes? Abandoning her children? As long as she's writing her story, we know she's still alive, but we can still fear for her in that way. But is she in the clear? Will she take that experience and learn from it? Will she live life to the fullest? Will she regret telling her stories out loud? Next, Terry DeMeo. Fred died Sunday night. My sweet friend, Rainbow Fred, the man who was always there for me, no matter what. He listened to me, rescued me, and cheered me on. I'd like to think I did the same for him. He maddened me, too, annoyed me. We bickered so much, we had a joke that we'd be in our 90s on walkers and nagging each other like an old married couple. But that won't happen. That's gone. What have I got to lose? My best friend just got diagnosed with bladder cancer and another old friend with brain cancer. My handyman died last month. And the man I was dating recently 
had a recurrence of his cancer and withdrew into a depression. A friend calls and says so-and-so just dropped dead of a heart attack. My children's father died four years ago. What have I got to lose? The idea of forever. That I can assume that people will still be there when I dial their phone number tomorrow. And really, that I won't be alone. My fear isn't death. It's that I will outlive them all. That I will be alone with no shared memories, no out-of-control laughter of remember the time that, no growing old together. And then I think, who am I to be so arrogant, so convinced of my own good health and energy lasting, that I will outlive them all, that I'll be the one who survives? And then I think how ungrateful this almost seemed to someone who is sick or weak or doesn't have the full life that I do. What do I have to lose? The idea that I have a problem that really doesn't even exist? Except that it does exist. Fred died Sunday night. Terry's stakes are clear. She's afraid she'll be left alone. Before we get to Inessa's story about the conflict between her truth and what her parents want for her, here's a word from our sponsors. Next is Inessa. Her story is about reconciling or not reconciling what she wants with what her parents want. In the end, I think she realizes that their conflicting interests aren't so conflicting. From as early as I can remember, Mama has always had a unique way of pushing me to be my best. When I was 12, she'd say, when your Mama was your age, she was already making dinner and cleaning house for Grandma and Grandpa. Then at 25, at your age, your Mama left her whole family in Russia to come to America with no English and got a job at Boeing. But most recently it was... When your mama was 39, she already had two kids, a house, ran successful restaurant, and sponsored 36 relatives to America. The subtext? What have you done with your life, Inessa? I didn't respond well to her flavor of encouragement. If anything, it only served to reinforce that I was a disappointment to my family. No one actually said it that way, but it was always there, hanging over my head like some blinking neon sign, reminding me that my worth was measured by my results. I'm 40 now and single. I don't have a kid or own a house, but I like my job a lot. I'm a feng shui consultant and a spiritual counselor. It feels good to help others, but my job isn't mama's first priority. Your one focus should be to find husband. I'm visiting Mama in Seattle. We are eating lunch at the French bakery. She says, The worst thing for parent, a mother, is to know that her child isn't settled and doesn't have her own family. But what's even worse is to die knowing your child doesn't have her own family. I say, Mama, that's a horrible thing to say. I want to have a family. Then you need to be aggressive, she says. She pulls a magazine out of her purse. It's a vanity fair. Here, read this article. 
It's about a woman that comes from nothing and takes everything. The article was about Rupert Murdoch's ex-wife, Wendy Ding. She has three qualities you lack. Manipulation, cunning, and shrewdness. She takes what she wants. She has high-power men wrapped around her finger. Rupert Murdoch, Tony Blair. And she tease you. You want me to be a manipulative, narcissistic bitch? Not bitch, but more selfish, calculated, yes. You think your beauty will last? I want you to be smart, do what's right for yourself. Stop saving everybody. Ask yourself, what do I need for me to be happy in this life? Mama's one dream for me is to have a baby and find someone, anyone that will marry me. My dream for myself is to also have a baby but with the love of my life. I say, I really want to find the right one, mama. Then you need to make your search for man global. He could be anywhere. And when you find him, you will go there to be with him. Why do you think you pick all the wrong guys? She says, getting louder by the second. I tell her to tone it down. She says, stop avoiding. Her volume increases to a level that brings me back to childhood to department stores where she's trying to return something and the cashier won't let her because it's past the return date. All the problem in the relationships is because you are intellectual mind, Inessa. Too much spiritual, too much analyze. You need to learn street smart real fast. No more worry about beauty. You have enough beauty. But no street smart. Women who have street smart have everything. That's my mom's theory. The truth is, and my mom might not agree, I just don't think I've met the man I'm supposed to marry and start a family with. I've had several long-term relationships. One even ended up as an engagement and I moved cross-country to get married, but it dissolved before I could say I do. It's not like I'm commitment-phobic. If anything, I try too hard. My conclusion is this. I've chosen men that were almost good enough. He was almost sure he wanted kids. He was almost ready to settle down once he had a stable income. He was almost spiritual when he wasn't smoking pot on the weekends. His penis almost fit inside of me. But almost enough is just not enough. Mama says, I have your wedding in front of my eyes. I can't wait for the day when your papa will wear the suit he bought 20 years ago in Paris for the special day. It's still hanging in the closet. It stings, but I try to make a joke. Gosh, 20 years. I'm surprised moths haven't eaten through it. She starts yelling again. You're just like your papa, aren't you? You don't take anything serious. It's all big joke to you. She's wrong. The image of my papa's suit in the closet, collecting dust, not fulfilling its potential, brings up all sorts of guilt and sad feelings. A wedding and a baby would bring so much joy to them. I want to give them that, and I want that for me, too. Will Anessa continue to follow her heart? Will she ever please her parents? Will she find true love?
Okay, here's your assignment. Set a timer for eight minutes. No, okay, this time, set a timer for 10. Just write without stopping. Keep your pen moving and your fingers tapping. And follow your mind. Just go where it takes you. The thing about the prompts is there is no wrong way to do a prompt. If what you write has nothing to do with the prompt, that's okay. They're just meant to get you started. When the timer goes off, stop. Then read what you wrote into your voice memo on your phone and email it to us at info at Some of your stories will end up right here on our show. This is Allison. I know I've said this before, that what Andrea just proposed might be scary, but you're not expected to create perfection. This is a first draft. It's just the beginning of your story. Every time I hear the prompt in class, my mind goes blank. But somehow, I start writing, and I go to a place I hadn't intended. And when I read it out loud, it doesn't sound nearly as bad as I thought. So give it a try. What do you have to lose? Here's a story we got from a guy in Ohio named Christopher Alonzo in response to the prompt, A Time I Fucked Up. I had always been a very reserved person until I found what's called a friend with benefits. I started speaking without a filter in public and grabbing his butt also in public. I had never had one of these special friends before, the kind that I had only seen in movies. I was learning to navigate my own sexuality, but we weren't very familiar. I had never been in a relationship either. It just never happened. So I thought that this would be a series of new experiences for me, to mess around and find the spots on someone else's body that would make them giggle and moan, and maybe he'd make me giggle and moan. I liked the idea. I like new experiences. After long sessions of making out, my friend asked if I wanted to go to Twist, Miami Beach's massive gay club. I had never been. I said yes. When I got to his apartment that night, I could tell what the mood would be for the rest of the evening, hot with kisses that tasted like spiced rum. I knew what would happen when we got back to his place after clubbing, and I knew he wanted it, but I didn't realize how many Cuba Libres I had that night, and when the time came, I couldn't, because my head wasn't the only thing that wasn't working. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks so much for sending in that story. We hope that inspires you to send in your story. Here's the prompt. What do you have to lose? Coming up in the next episode, I'm putting myself in the writer's seat. You'll hear my story about the time I challenged myself to go 24 hours without talking about me. It was hard. And you'll hear John Dope's story about being a 250-pound black man in a very vulnerable position. The episode is about writing a story meant to be told out loud. And we're doing something different. Allison is going to be your host. Ha ha ha! I'm excited for her to see how hard this is. Flying fortress of plastic dreams Red band canvas is Writing Class Radio is produced by Diego Saldana Rojas, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz, with additional support from Toby Ash, Wendy Pomerantz, and Alejandro Santiago. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is also sponsored by Victoria Espudua. Contact Victoria for a free consultation or a second opinion on your portfolio. Go to Victoria. A-Z-P-U-R-U-A dot com. 
And there's more Writing Class on our website, writingclassradio.com. Study the stories we study, listen to our craft talks, follow our daily prompts, and time yourself. Then record what you wrote and send it in. Go for it. Like Allison said, like we've been asking all along, what do you have to lose? There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Single chances that fall behind Fleeting memories feel so strange What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.